Recovery Elevator, episode 358. I think my biggest fear is that I wouldn't be able to do it and that I would just continuously be miserable, that, you know, my life without alcohol would be joyless. I wouldn't have anything to look forward to. Concerts would be terrible. And I've found that everything is the exact opposite. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we have Randy. He's 43 years old. He's from Indianapolis, and he took his last drink on December 20th, 2016. Listeners, I've met Randy in person a couple of times, and let me tell you, he's the man. You guys are going to learn a lot from him, and you guys are going to love the interview. Registration is now open for our intensive Dry January course, Restore. 2022 is a new year and you deserve peace, joy, and a sense of calm. This is much more than a 30-day AF challenge or sobriety course. It represents you having the courage and openness to listen to the body and make a major change in your life. In this 14-session course, geared towards the newcomer, we'll cover different recovery paths. Is AA right for you? How to build community, techniques for calming the mind, spirituality, mindfulness, meditation, and the best part is you won't be alone. Join fellow course attendees on Zoom for 14 sessions. Classes are both lecture and small group discussions. Homework and resources are emailed after each class. This course starts Saturday, January 1st at 3 p.m. Eastern, and course days are Sundays, Mondays, and Tuesdays. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash restore, and link is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. Okay, let's get started. I hope everybody had a great Christmas. You guys deserve it. And if you're just joining us or new to the Recovery Elevator podcast, the episodes in November and December are dedicated to giving you a game plan of sorts to making it through the holidays sober or alcohol-free. So we're giving you three battle-tested tips each episode to give you the strength and the courage and the know-how. You guys can do this. And in the show notes for this episode are all the tips provided the last eight episodes. So let's recap last week's tips. Number one, you can say no. Another word for this is boundaries. Number two, practice saying no. Number three, create your own pep talk. I got this idea from a listener who said after hearing my pep talks, she wrote her own. How cool is that? And for an expanded version of these tips, please go back to last week's episode 357. Okay, here are this week's tips, and we've got a big week ahead of us. Many of us have work off this week, which can be triggering for some. It's also a chance to get grounded and to work on you. Some of you may have Jan 1 circled as your new sobriety date. I do want to mention I've interviewed several people on this podcast who have alcohol-free dates of December 27, 28, 29, and 30. You don't have to wait till the 1st. You can get this journey started at any time. And in my opinion, the sooner is the better due to the progressive nature of alcohol. Radio. Okay, so here are this week's tips. Number one, not everybody is kung fu fighting. What does that mean? It means not everyone is going to be drinking this New Year's, or in general. About 45% of the world's population and about 30% of American adults don't drink at all. That's a lot of people. The narrative of, I'm going to be the only person not drinking, simply isn't true. That's the mind creating friction where there doesn't need to be. And speaking of the song, Everyone is Kung Fu Fighting by Carl Douglas, not one punch or kick is thrown in the official music video. In fact, nobody is Kung Fu Fighting. The perception that everyone is drinking isn't correct. Number two, I love this one, is to sing. Singing is a great way to move stuck or stagnant energy. Now, this doesn't mean you have to sing in front of a group of people or head out for karaoke, although it could. So I do this tip once a week. It's on my calendar and this is how it looks. I have four songs in a Spotify playlist and I have the lyrics bookmarked my Internet Explorer. I sing the lyrics to each song out loud in my living room and it's just me and my dog. I do my best to sing from my diaphragm or the lower parts of the lungs and I get loud sometimes. It feels good. I enjoy it. And who knows, you may even find out you like to sing. Number three. Give yourself a hug and say I love you. 
In fact, this may be the most important tip of the past eight episodes. I've yet to meet someone who has been successful in quitting drinking who isn't kind to themselves. Regardless if you drank every day the past two months, give yourself a break. The holidays can be stressful, especially if you're a parent. Again, lighten up on yourself. Most likely alcohol and life in general has kicked your ass lately. You don't need to add another layer of shame and guilt on top of that. Okay, now let's get into our mini pep talk for this episode. If you'd like to get just this part of the episode for free, that would be the talk and the music. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash meditations. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Liz. There's so much uncertainty in the world right now. And if you're listening to this, it probably means there's significant uncertainty in your life as well. And that's okay. Change is hard, even if it's for the better. Now with much of your new life ahead of you unknown, let's bring in a bit of the familiar. Yeah, something you might know. You may have heard of this. Yeah, there we go. We can work with this. Now hang on, let me, uh, let me adjust something real quick. Yeah, there we go. Much better. So everyone has a certain song or a tune that's unique to themselves. It's important that you find your song. Maybe it's you racing a jet as it takes off while riding your motorcycle. Maybe it's you walking in nature with your dog. Maybe it's you spending time with loved ones or being the best parent that you can be. Your soul has a song that you need to discover. Once you know it, keep singing this song to yourself over and over. Now there may be a layer of fog, such as alcohol, that is covering up this beautiful melody. But once this is removed, you'll be poised to sing again, like you used to when you were a kid. In fact, you already know this song. And shit, if you want to invite Beyonce to sing with you, then go ahead and do so. Yeah, girl. Okay, we'll take it from here. There's so much out of your control in life, and you know what that is. But overall, you are the master creator. Know that everything that is happening in your life is working in your favor. It's there to help you grow, and it's your song that gets you through. So what are you waiting for? For things to get worse? For more signs from the universe? You've probably had enough. So do whatever it takes to find your song again. And if someone doesn't like your song, well, that has nothing to do with you. Relearning this song takes practice. This song is constantly changing because you're writing it. And once you've rediscovered this song, here's the important part. Don't forget to sing it. Again, don't forget to sing your song. When you know your song through and through, please don't withhold it from the world. Share this beautiful gift with those around you, because when one person is true to their song, it gives others permission to sing their song. Happy New Year's, everybody. Be safe, listen to your heart, and I'll see you next year. Before we hear from Chris and Randy, let's hear from Exact Nature. Exact Nature's safe and healthy CBD-based products are formulated to help you with the challenges of quitting drinking such as addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, and lack of sleep. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. Thank you, Paul and Recovery Elevator. Please help me welcome Randy. Randy, how the heck are you, dude? What's up? Happy to be here. It's good to see you, dude. I'm glad that we were able to glad that we were able to do this. Thank you for making the time. I know it's we're listeners were recording right before Christmas, so it's a busy time of year. But uh, I'm glad to, glad that you're here. Um, before we get started, can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Well, I'm coming up on five years. So as of December 30th, I will hit the five-year mark. 
God willing, I make it. Less than two weeks. How you feeling? Feeling great. Feeling great. That's awesome, dude. Nice job. Can you let listeners know, again, before we get into it, uh, where you're from? Let's learn a little bit about you. Where you're from? What do you do for a living? Marriage, kids, pets, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Okay. I'm 43 years old. I live in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm married. I have four kids, 17, 15, and nine and seven. And then we have five animals, three poodles, one of every size, and uh, two cats. So the cats are my wife's 100%, but the dogs are ours. You have got a little poodle sanctuary. That is that is correct. If Paul ever needs daycare, doggy daycare, he should just zip through Indy. Just would make it a six pets, no, we, four poodles. We wouldn't even notice. What's the it difference? Just like dropping another kid off. It's like nothing. It's fine. That's awesome. Oh, and what do you like to do for fun? Besides uh, for fun? walking dogs. That's right. Uh, for fun, we've actually gotten into running a lot, my wife and I. We've did two half marathons this year, which was awesome. And then we've always kind of liked to be to do hiking, and we've always liked walking and doing that stuff. But running was really something that we made time for, for ourselves, for our relationship, and just for us. And it's been great. So I, I never liked to run at all, ever in my life uh, prior um, but we just got going and it's, it's just, she's been a great motivator and it's been awesome to, to do. That's awesome, man. I know I've seen kind of your progression into it just in cafe RE and just you and I talking. And that's, I think that's awesome that you found something, one that you enjoy, that you get something back from. And that, um, I mean, we all know that relationships are tough. So to be able to, to have kind of that common ground, especially something that, that makes us stronger or, or, or fills us up and to be able to do that with our partner. Uh, that's really cool, man. Nice job. And that's congrats on freaking two halves. That's pretty amazing, dude. Yeah. It sounds kind of crazy considering when we first started, I like couldn't even make it a mile. And I was like, we had little landmarkers in the neighborhood and I was just remember hitting that mile for the first time being like, yeah. And now it's like 13 miles. It's like the first mile you're just getting warmed up. So um, just, it's just like everything. It's just, uh, kind of like recovery, you know, just do a little bit at a time and listen to those who know more than I do. And, and then, yeah, we made it. So yeah, this last one was just a week ago. So it was, it was awesome. Very cool. Uh, well, speaking of recovery, um, yeah, that's why we're here, right? <laughs> yeah, let's do what we came here to do. Uh, recovery elevator. This is Randy's third time, correct? Third time doing what? On the podcast. No, only second. I was only uh, episode 129. Okay. Well, that saves me from having to look it up. Uh, 120. Okay. Second time. Oh, two-timers club. Welcome. I know. Yeah. I mean, this is elite company for sure. <laughs> There's a handful of us. So, okay. So episode 129, if you want to hear Randy's story from, that's got to be a couple years ago now. But, yeah, I was right at six months. Okay. Right at six months and closing in on five years. So it'll be interesting to, uh, I don't know, I think I'm, I know I'm going to go back and listen and just, we change, we change, but yeah, that's true. Yeah. Let's do it, man. Let's do what we're here for. Let's dig into it. Uh, tell us a little bit about your relationship with alcohol, maybe how it started and, and the progression and, and yeah, let's, let's just go there. Sure. I, I've learned kind of a lot about myself, uh, throughout the whole recovery time a lot of I, my naivete towards alcohol in the beginning is, is pretty profound. I was kind of embarrassed about how little I knew about the effects and the long term and all of the, all of those things. I mean, I knew alcohol wasn't obviously good for me, but you know, I was in the restaurant business. That's what I do um, now. I'm doing food service for a university here in Indianapolis, and it's a Monday through Friday schedule, so it's awesome. But for 20 years prior, I've been a restaurant manager and always worked nights, weekends, holidays. That crazy schedule that I know you know all too well, Chris. But I didn't really, I've been thinking about this lately that, you know, I chose partially that profession because of the lifestyle, you know, everyone around me drank at all times. I was by far not the most problematic drinker by any stretch of the imagination of people who worked for me or even other colleagues or even bosses I had. And that was a big thing where I was just like, oh, this is totally normal, you know, to, to have your days off and, you know, drink 10, 12 beers. And, you know, you spread that out over time. I'm a big guy. It's not out, that outrageous. And then, you know, you get into recovery and really it's like, yeah, man, that's a lot. Like that's almost a gallon of beer. Like <laughs> that's not normal. 
but at the time it's just you're going out for a few and hang out with people and then come home and have a few more and that's just yeah that's just what everybody does right and i just got towards the end i was just so tired of just feeling like crap all the time you know i couldn't recover from those hangovers i couldn't bounce back and just jump out of bed anymore and it would just take a toll on me and then um all the anxiety like there was just days where i was like oh it's normal people just have anxiety and don't want to go to work that's a pretty normal thing um i didn't realize how much anxiety was being caused by the withdrawal from alcohol and you know and then in in the recovery side it's just it's just been a million times better and now when i wake up yeah there's days i don't want to go to work but i I haven't had that anxious feeling where it's just like i can't even barely pull myself to get in the shower and get going to work because i dread it so much and i just thought oh that's normal people don't people just don't like their jobs and people just have that that's normal healthy anxiety you know and then I, i just had no idea that alcohol was causing most of that so, you know, that was a big part of it. I, I don't feel like I did it to fit in necessarily. I, I just felt that that was like my reward for working hard and working these late shifts and these long hours. And, you know, and that's what that was my only reward. And that was honestly towards and all I look forward to. I look at my schedule. What days can I drink? What days do I have, don't have to work until three or four that next day so I can drink and then not have to worry about being hungover? When are my days off? And then anytime there was an interruption with like a kid's schedule or a band concert or something where I was in my head already planning to drink. And then I find out, no, nope, that's not what's happening. You're doing this, this, and this. I would just be so angry. Um, mm-hmm. And that happens to some extent today, but it's more like, oh yeah, I forgot there's a band recital. Okay, I'll, I'll just... You know, I'm not watching this movie now. I'm just going to get up and go to the banner side. No big deal. Yeah, definitely much different these days. I want to go back to one point. You mentioned drinking was a reward, and mm-hmm. I can I can relate to that big time. I felt earned. I you know as as you alluded to, like I've got a I've got a great job, but junk schedule, and I felt you know like like I was king of the hill. Like I I've got I'm providing for my family. I'm making more money than I've ever made. This is I deserve this. And don't you even think about taking that away from me? Yeah, like I had, like I had earned it, and I, it was it was this real perverted relationship with it. Anyway, what uh, what do you have a reward now? What, sure. what does that look like? What does that look like now? Like has that been? I don't I don't know that it would necessarily be like a direct replacement. Like instead of drinking, I eat five handfuls of jelly beans. I I don't know whatever the case may be. But what does that look like now? Well, I think now it is just like, for example, like we went and saw a Genesis concert it was out of town. Tickets were a little bit pricey. You know, we had to make some, you know, movements and watching kids and do all these things. But like, I didn't even think about it once. Like I knew I'd be able to drive there. I knew I'd be able to drive home after the event. I, I knew that we wouldn't be so stressed about that money for concert tickets because, you know, over the course of time, when you're not spending money on alcohol and all of the other things financially that are <laughs> a result of that. It's just like, yeah, I, I know we're going to be fine and that money's going to be there. So it's like, those are the things where I try to plan a few big things where, I mean, a concert like that would be totally like, I mean, that's like two months worth of drinking, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, or that's a big thing where it's just like, you got to set this aside and, oh, I shouldn't, have, you know, if I wouldn't have spent money on those concert tickets, how many beers could I have had or X, Y, and Z? Um, not having those thoughts anymore is, is just, is a big thing. And like this uh, last year, I bought season tickets to the Colts games. Yeah. And so my dad bought one and I bought one and, you know, it wasn't outrageous, but no way could I have afforded it while I was still drinking or I wouldn't have been able to work it with a schedule because my schedule was so crazy. I couldn't have gotten, you know, eight home games off and been able to go and getting all those Sundays off. And it would have been miserable almost. I don't even think I would have enjoyed it. So it's those things now where it's, you know, bigger things that I plan on more methodical about as opposed to, you know, that instant gratification of, you know, I get off work at this time on this day and boom, that's when I'm going to, you know, have my quote unquote reward. Yeah. There's a little bit of separation from that. I don't know. At least for me, it was almost like, I don't know, the metaphor coming about, I think of like, I was almost like a child where it's like, I need this, I need it now. And now we can kind of take that step back and maybe look at the the bigger picture and be like, all right, maybe I'm a little uncomfortable from a long day of work, but I know that this is serving a greater good. And I don't maybe have that immediate gratification of getting wasted, which really is not gratifying. It's just numbing. But there's, there's bigger things at play here. Speaking of Indianapolis, how is your quarterback doing? You got a North Dakota guy, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. I think about that every time where they talk about where he's from. Like I know somebody from North Dakota. Uh, we'll see how he does. It's a, 
you know, the Patriots are this weekend. So it's the biggest home game that we've had. So I'm pretty excited. It's a primetime game. We'll see how he does under the pressure. But, uh, you know, it, it, he's been okay so far. But, you know, it's been it's been a little bit agitating, you know, w- watching the Colts go back and forth this season where it's like they've had so many games under under wraps and then they blow it and crazy things happen. But I want to think about football, too. Uh, I, it was really hard for me my first year to really watch football because it was so ingrained with alcohol with me as, as part of my ritual that I didn't even watch football really the first year. And now I think I enjoy it more than ever. Um, it's just totally different. My dad doesn't drink, so I'm able to watch games with him, and that's never been part of his routine. And, you know, I've been able to, to, to watch it and have my kids around. Like before, I didn't even want my kids around because, one, I go crazy. Um, that person yelling at the screen and uh, getting, <laughs> getting excited. Uh, and it does startle my kids when they hear me. Like if they're upstairs and they hear me like, what's wrong? And then my wife will just be like, the Colts are on. Like your dad, just, just give him a little bit. He'll be okay. But now my, you know, my seven-year-old's been watching with me a little bit. He can't quite have the patience to watch a whole game, but he'll watch a little bit. And, you know, it, it's, it's been cool. Let's, uh, let's talk about your kids. I know, uh, like, as you mentioned, you've got, you've got a different job now that affords you, uh, a, a a bit of a different schedule, but you were, I mean, you were sober for a while before you had that job, I guess not so much with the work schedule stuff, but in regards to drinking, what, what were things like with your kids when you were, when you were still active versus, versus now? Yeah. Let's just talk about that, that comparison. Well, it's been a lot different. I mean, first of all, I'm just an involved parent. Um, before it was just hundred percent of my wife because it was just a given. Well, I'm at work from three till midnight. So I get home there in bed you know, I stay up and drink till two or three o'clock in the morning. So then I'm getting up the next morning at, you know, 10 or 11, they're gone to school, you know, and then when I see them, I actually have time off finally. And I see them, well, it was a Monday or a Tuesday. So they're getting up and going to school. And, you know, I see them for what that three hour window uh, from the time they get home till dinner's done. And, you know, they get their homework done and that kind of thing. And then I wait till they go to bed and drink. So, I mean, weekends, I never saw them. I, w- I was just always at work. So, mm-hmm. You know, part of that was, oh, Randy, on the drinking problem. He's just, he's just a hardworking guy and he's just his schedule and that's what he's doing. And he's, he has to work late nights. And, you know, so no one ever really thought I had a problem, including myself for a long time. But the quality of time, like if that was, and then when my schedule, you asked how it changed afterwards. Well, I started working a lot more day shifts. You know, I would change my schedule and I would start working more day shifts and I would spread it out to where when my kids actually had things going on, I would request off. Like I didn't have that mentality of, I need to make myself come first. I need to make my kids a priority because I was so worried about my other managers and people pleasing them that I would, you know, not give myself a day off or, you know, not leave early so I could go see a kid performance or whatever it was. And then before I got this new job, totally. I mean, I would write my schedule to be, we, you know, if there's a volleyball tournament, like I'm not coming to work that weekend. You know, I had all this PTO and I never took it, you know, cause I didn't actually realize that workaholism was like an actual thing. <laughs> But I, I started working a lot more in the very beginning because I was one, I was feeling better in, in early recovery. And then I just transferred a lot of that energy into work. And it's really taken me until the last year and a half, two years to really just when I'm not at work, just kind of turn it down and not be so obsessive about, oh, my boss is calling me. Oh, there's an email. I, I, somebody needs me. Like, I'm not doing enough. You know, I know that the effort that I'm putting into is more than enough and that. If there it truly is an emergency that requires my attention, the people who need to get a hold of me know how to get a hold of me and I will always respond. But even in early recovery, I just I couldn't turn it off. You know, it, it would drive my wife insane, which rightly so. You know, nobody cares about the restaurant that they don't work at, nor they want to hear about it yeah. <laughs> at any given time. So I, I just didn't really have any kind of way to shut it off. And I, I think I have much healthier boundaries now. But it certainly wasn't something that happened overnight and it definitely took me some time to to, to process that. How has that, you know, having healthier boundaries and, and, and really, and I think that you've even told me in the past that this new job with the, with the better schedule probably wouldn't have happened in, in active addiction, but how has that translated into like relationship with, with your kids? Like, you know, you, I mean, you cover the gamut from 17 to, to seven in terms of age of your kids now. So that would have been 12 and two from 12 to two when you were, you know, right when you quit. I don't know, like, how do you just, how do you feel with them now? Like, what what does that look like just as far as, like, your ability to communicate with them and, and, and you know, you are spending time with them now, but, like, that, that relationship portion. 
Well, I mean, it really is a million times better because I'm more approachable. I mean, before it was, don't, don't bug your dad. He's asleep. You know, leave your dad alone. He's resting today. And all of these things, I didn't realize they were really kind of tiptoeing around me. I thought it was because, oh, I'm working hard and I have this hard schedule, but it was because I was hungover and felt like crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now there's not that, you know, am I short fused sometimes? A hundred percent sure. But, you know, they can approach me and I don't like immediately fly off the handle because it's not something that's going to ruin my time that I would be able to drink. You know, my younger kids, I don't think they have any clue because, you know, they were pretty young and my older kids, I don't even think they really had a clue because I was just gone all the time and working. So it wasn't that we, we had some bad relationship and then it became great. We just didn't really have a relationship because I I was really an absentee parent, you know, when I think about it now and you know, it, it didn't, it was very gradual too. So it's kind of hard to explain. It's so dramatically different now, but that's over a five-year period. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, obviously I became a little bit more approachable and I became a lot more invested in their day-to-day. And like my 15-year-old, you know, she started band, which I was in band. So, you know, like I've been way like picking up, I'm volunteering, you know, doing things where I'm like, when I saw those parents, when I was drinking, I'm like, you're crazy. Like you volunteer to spend extra time to, you know, come to practice and, you know, do this with the marching band. Like nobody has time for that. Like that's, that isn't real life. And now I'm one of those people that's, you know, up at five in the morning and out running and going to work and then still helping with band practice and carpool and all that, where you just think it's like, that's an impossibility, but it really is when you're not spending that much time either drinking or feeling like crap and recovering from it. But it, again, it was so gradual that, you know, I immediately started feeling better, but then the day to day, it's just like, you feel like you have a little bit more time and a little bit more to give, and you're a little bit more available and a little bit more approachable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like the exact opposite of the death by a thousand cuts. You know, I've been thinking about that lately. It's just, it's just gradually things become better and better and better. And you're just like, you know, there isn't one, one thing, like you're asking me like, well, I kind of want one thing or what changes just like, well, everything did because when you're not available emotionally or physically, for that matter, uh, it's almost impossible to even have any kind of relationship. Um, and, and now it's not perfect. I mean, my 17 year old is still every stereotypical 17 year old. <laughs> thing. I mean, she still uh, drives me insane at times, but she's pretty well grounded and pretty, you know, some of the things I hear come out of her mouth are like kind of adultish. And some of her friends are doing some, some things that are kind of stupid. And she's like, yeah, you know, they're into that, but yeah, I'm not going to do that. You know, they're talking about like, she, she's realistic. She's not going to get some scholarship and, you know, go to California and all of these things. She's like, I'm probably gonna go to a local state school, you know, like something that makes sense. That's finding I can, I can live at home and go to a, you know, like a community college for the first year and get those credits. I'm like, well, who is this person? Like, that's not, <laughs> I was never that realistic or, or had those kinds of ideas when I was 17. That's for sure. You know I was thinking about this this morning. I'm on days, I'm on some days off now and I just worked a stretch of nights and my kids kind of same way. Like I was, I was just unapproachable and my kids, I don't know. They just, they knew they, they never, they never bothered me because quite frankly, I was just a dick. But this morning, like both my kids were like, I was trying to do something in my office and they're just (laughs) pestering me. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they're just like, Oh, Hey dad. And like, they didn't even mind. They like they didn't care. They didn't care that I was busy with something. They were bothering me, but not to sound overly optimistic, but like what a blessing because sure. they they're able to do that because we have that relationship now, and they and they feel safe. And I don't know. It's just yeah, you're right. It's not it's not just one thing, but um, I don't know. It's cool to see the transition over time of our of our kids like feeding off of our energy and, and being able to have relationship with us and communicate with us and where before that we just we we I think we pushed everybody away because we were just trying to protect the the one thing we cared about. We've talked a little bit of about family and about work. Let's uh and again I know I know like you said the, I think you talked a lot about this on your previous episode 129 but before we dig more into the recovery stuff let's just talk about maybe that last year or, or last few months, whatever that time frame is for you, what did, what did the end of your drinking look like? What was going on in your life? How were things feeling? I, I could tell it was getting ready to hit a new plateau. I, I had never really had whiskey in the house before. And I distinctly remember having um, a big bottle of Crown Royal and replacing that. And I put it at the very top of the pantry. So I'd have my eight to 10 to 12 beers or whatever. And then when either my wife was upstairs or whatever, 
you know, I just pull that on, take a drink of it, had a little bag around it. So, you know, they couldn't see if it was gone. And then I would go you get cash from the ATM and then buy another bottle. And I was just doing that. And I'm like, that in itself was something I had never really done before because mm. when we first got married, Jenny's whole thing was, well, I don't care if you drink beer, but liquor, no, that's not like, that was like, for some reason to her, that would be like an alcoholic would drink hard liquor, but you drink beer, you know, even if you drink 12 of them, it's fine. So that was, that was really creeping in, which hadn't happened before. And I had definitely had a few times where, cause I had quit smoking for a long time. I think at that point, like two and a half, three years or whatever, I don't remember the exact timeline, but like I had, I had keys in my hand. And I was ready to go buy cigarettes on more than one occasion. And the last day I drank hundred percent of that was, I was like ready to, and I'm just like waking up the next day. And I'm like, what if I got a damn DUI? And then how mad would I be if I started smoking again? And then I was like, I would never, when I'm sober, wake up and say, I'm going to go buy cigarettes. Like I don't, I mean, you may have a, a random fleeting craving or something like that, but that thought doesn't cross my mind where I'm just going to go to the gas station and buy cigarettes. But I, I would get, you know, those inhibitions and I would be drinking and I'm just like, I'm going to be a smoker again. And I was so like deathly afraid of that. And I remember that being big time. And then I also remember too, like I had to have all these regimented things fall into place for like my drinking to be quote unquote successful. I'd have, you know, eat at this time, start drinking at this time, stop drinking at this time, making sure that, you know, I didn't have to work or my responsibilities weren't at this time in the morning. And it was so methodical and all, I, I had no idea how much mental energy I was actually, you know, applying to just being able to drink. And it's just the insanity of all the thinking of it all. And, and I just remember thinking like, I don't think normal people think like this. <laughs> I remember having that thought. And then, you know, and then it, from there, I just remember waking up and feeling like absolute crap. I, and I'm sure like everyone else, we find the podcast, we listen to that first episode and it's just like, oh, wait, there are normal people that have problems with this. I'm not the only one. And then you hear all these similarities and all these other people going through the exact same thing. And I just remember being like, okay, all right, yeah, let me give this a shot then. Okay, people here seem to be getting their acts together, seem to be people I can identify with. And, you know, that's it. The rest is history. I remember joining right away. My, my sobriety date was the 30th. And I think I was in a chat in, in recovery elevator within like 10 days. Like it was pretty quick. Had you tried before? Had you had you tried any like ever tried to quit or or tried any? Mod I guess you did mention that you had like rules, like you had these criteria that had to be met to drink. But it, were there attempts at moderation prior to that day? I'd never tried to quit. I'd never tried to moderate. I didn't ever think I had a problem. I just boom stopped and and haven't looked back. And I, I just feel very fortunate. I've I've only had I'm not reset my sobriety counter. It's kind of a miracle when you think about it. It just, everyone's journey is their own. So it seems unique and it just seems normal because it's my own. But then, you know, I've been around the community for a while now. I know that's not the norm, but I also know that everyone around me and in the community has helped keep me sober during that time also. And I, I see the pain. I see how hard it is for people to get back when they've gone back out. I see how hard it is when they're in these endless day ones. And while I, we, we feel for them a hundred percent, those help us stay sober. It helps me stay sober. And I think that's one hard thing for people who are struggling to realize how much they're helping everyone, because when you're going through it, obviously you don't think you're helping anyone, but that was, you know, one thing that, that continues to help me is, you know, I, I just want to try to lead by example the best I can, but you know, it, it's still, there are challenges even upon year five. And that, that's why we have the community and that's why we're yeah. here and that's that's why we're, we're chatting right now. Yeah, and I think the fact that it was kind of a, you know, for today, one and done, you know, God willing, it, it, it stays that way it is, I think it's a testament to like the, to the work that you've put in. And I think sometimes there's this perception of like, ah, well, this guy's not going to understand because listen, I've had relapses or I've had this or I've had that. But like, you know, you had your own struggles and it's, and it wasn't. I don't think anything has been given to you. It was work, you know, and like you said, you joined, you joined the community you've done, like as someone who's known you for over four years, like I know that you've done a tremendous amount of work. So what, what does that look like? Okay. You mentioned that you, that you joined, that you joined Cafe RE right away. What did, what did that work look like? And, and what other, you know, work have you done in terms of, you know, like let's say that first year or a couple of years. Uh, first year, I got involved right away. 
And every time I saw like the video challenges or, you know, the chats are amazing now. Uh, we used to call them webinars, but I, I know you know the, how they've evolved over time and they're just incredible now. But in the beginning, they were still fun and they were still great. But I tried to go to all of those that I could. And we, we only had a few a week back then. But I, I think that's been the best way to connect with people in the community is because, you know, we can be on these calls. We can see each other. I, I just I'm a visual person and it just helps me. Uh, kind of get to know people a lot better and to be connected. And that's been one constant for me. I, I've always tried to make it to at least one chat a week, preferably two, if I can make make it, that would be great. But I've always tried to do that really consistently. Um, and I, I think I did AA for the first year. Uh, I got a sponsor. I worked the steps. Um, I had this feeling that like I had to constantly be doing something or trying something or, you know, like getting all these tools. And I kept hearing like tools in the toolbox and I read everything and did all of these things. And then at, at some point, I think it was right around a year mark. I realized that like cafe RE doesn't have to be a supplement. Like that can be my only tool. It is, it has been my main tool. I've tried other things, um, but it has been the one tool that's always been in my toolbox has been the chats, staying connected to the Facebook group. Um, you know, if I can get to some of the in-persons, those are great. You know, if, if, time and logistics and all of those things happen, but meeting up with people in person, I mean, those are the most delightful times of my recovery, whether it's a huge, you know, big regional meeting, or it's just lunch with one person or coffee with one person. I mean, all of them have been amazing. And it's really difficult to explain to people who aren't in our community or haven't done it, or you talk about meetups, it just seems like the most foreign concept in the world. And then everyone leaves these meetups and they're like, why haven't I been doing that the whole time? Like, this is great. This is awesome. But, you know, that was kind of one of the things too, why, you know, I, I'm really happy that I'm able to come back on the podcast is RE has just been my main tool the whole time. And it has been uh, enough for me. And, you know, I remember thinking like early on, there was a couple of like, a, where are they now? And I just remember thinking like, if I can make it to five years, like I would just love to come back on the podcast and just share that, like, you know, you can be a part of this community for that long and still have success. And every day isn't perfect by any stretch and there's still struggles, but I, I, I would definitely challenge, you know, like I think about this all the time, Chris, this is the very first time when you joined, you joined. And I think that day, like two hours later, you were in a chat <laughs> and I was like, man, that's awesome, Chris. What's up? Like, like you just joined and like, you're just like, I'm not bashful. Like I'm here. Like, let's do this. Like I'm at a chat right away. And you shared right away and, you know, you were very, you know, humble and, hey, I'm here to learn and very out, you know, just, just letting us know, like, what's up with Chris? And that's hard. I mean, especially for guys, uh, you know, for me, that's really hard to reach out for help. And I, I just, I will never forget that uh, for you. And then it's like anytime since then, and somebody like joins right away in there and chats right away and they're being vulnerable right away and they're asking for help and they're doing all the things, it's like, those are the people that I know we all want to do well, but it's just, I don't, I don't, I just always connected with those types of people where it's just like, you join right away. And it's like, I still, I still come across people who are like, I've been in the group for a year and this is my first post. And I know everyone's story is different, but I was just like, man, that, that just hasn't, that wasn't what, what we did. And I just, I always think that's, I'll never forget that you're your very first one. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's been awesome. Now here you are hosting, hosting the thing, man. That was a that was a very desperate dude on my my first day in the group, but that's that's okay. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's it's uh, you know at least for me, like I hit that point. I hit that point where I was I was done. I didn't I didn't know what the hell that meant, but I I was done. I was done with my way, and I needed something more. And you talked about this is. And for, for me, and I think for you too, it's, that's, that's been community and, and this doesn't necessarily have to be a recovery elevator, cafe, RE commercial, but that's okay. It's, it's what's worked. Right. But there's, I think, I, I think we can find that in a lot of places and, but the, like the common, the common thing that we hear from so many people and, and like you just shared is just finding that way to connect, whether it's through online webinars, through, um, you know, 12 steps. Some people are really fortunate and can find an amazing 12 step meeting, getting to some sort of regional meetups. And, you know, and again, not to, not to make it a recovery elevator commercial, but there's, you know, there's, there's organizations outside of recovery elevator and cafe RE that, that also have types of meetups. And it's, it's just finding that 
community, that group of people? Is it a men's group at a church, a women's group at a church, uh, some fraternal organization, whatever that thing is where we can sit with people, they take us as we are and they're going to walk alongside us and, and help lift us up. And for you, I'm really grateful that, that you found that here. And I'm glad, and I'm glad that I found it as well. And yeah, I, like it was good for me to see, you know, like Randy smiling face, my, my first day coming in, you know, I was like two months sober, but it was my first day in this community. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to get sober. I think I'm getting divorced. I'm still in treatment. Nice to meet you guys. But to have people like Randy, you know, to have people come alongside me and be like, hey, man, glad that you're here. Stick with it. And we're here to do this with you. And it's like, what a blessing to have people like you in my life, in our lives. And now we have the opportunity to to walk alongside other people. What does it look like for you as you've progressed, you know, like as, as far as being involved in, in community, you know, I think we, I think we lean in really heavy. We don't arrive, right? But, but things change and things are, yeah. things are supposed to change. So how, what does that shift look like for you in, in terms of your involvement in your sobriety and other people's sobriety? Well, I think for me is, you know, working with others has been the most rewarding. Uh, like I mentioned, my first year, I went through the 12 steps with a sponsor and uh, went to a lot of AA meetings. And I was just like really excited about, you know, sponsorship. And, you know, now that we have, um, you know, uh, Recovery Elevator has allowed us to have a little spot, shameless plug, uh, Saturdays at three o'clock Eastern for our uh, weekly AA meeting. You know, I've been able to sponsor people virtually. And that has been at first, I was like, I don't know how this is going to go, you know, um, and that has been really, really, really great. And I look forward to that. Um, and it also keeps me sober because I'm pretty sure I can't be sponsoring guys and drinking. And uh, that amount of hypocrisy would probably destroy me. Uh, I wouldn't be able to keep that up. And just being able to work with guys has just been incredible. And now that we can do it virtually is just even, yeah, I mean, just with the schedule, everyone's schedule is busy. But, you know, being able to do it, whether it's, you know, from a, a phone or Zoom or whatever, um, just being able to connect, uh, that has been so rewarding. And, you know, it, it also feels that it gives me a chance to give back because I distinctly remember when I was first getting started and especially here, I was just like, well, I don't really have anything to offer. Like what, like, what do people want from me? Like this has to be some sort of scam or, you know, like I, I'm just going to wait around long enough until X, Y, and Z. And then I'm going to be asked to give this much money or do whatever. And I'm just like, I have four kids. I don't have anything to offer, you know, all of these things. But then when I really truly realized that it was just about, like you said, about that community, about giving back and that no one wanted anything from me and all of that stuff. It's just, it makes the volunteerism that much more, you know, effective. I did do the show notes too for, uh, for about a six month period, which was, I, I was thinking about this the other day too. Like I remember doing my own episode of the show notes and I was in this huge panic because my, my computer crashed and I couldn't upload them and it was a mess and they're all disheveled. And I was like, well, it's my own episode. So I guess if uh, I'm going to mess one up, it might as well be this one. <laughs> and then uh, to see those who have done the show notes afterwards, they're a billion times better than me. And I was just like, wow, like, you know, it's, it's just incredible how, how the community has grown and how things have progressed. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, you just think about trying to get involved a little bit more. Cause I remember that those six months when I was doing the show notes, I'm like, well, I probably shouldn't be drinking if I'm, you know, like doing the show notes for a recovery elevator uh, episode. And so like all these little things that I've done just along the way to keep myself involved, whether, you know, it's, it's helping others or, you know, volunteering a little bit. Um, it's just kind of in the back of my mind. I'm like, well, I probably like, and it's just those things like, yeah, probably, you know, and I just keep doing these things to, um, keep myself going and perpetually going. So that way I'm not, you know, feeling like, oh, it's okay for me to drink now. I'm not sponsoring anybody or, oh, it's okay for me to drink now. I'm not part of any community. And uh, that's too why I, I just try to stay connected with the groups too, because, you know, keeping that accountability, like somebody might reach out to me and really need me. Well, I should probably be sober if they ever do that. Yeah. I think that service component is, is crazy important and it can, it can seem daunting, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to, am I going to have to sponsor people for the rest of my life? I'm in, I, I'm on day four <laughs> and now I got to sponsor five guys and I'm got to do show notes, but no, it's, it, it can look like a lot of different things. You know, and earlier you mentioned 
you know, trying to make that commitment to hit at least one meeting a week, like sometimes showing up to a meeting and just sharing your experience or holding space for someone else, that's service work. Um, another thing that I know that you do, cause I see it is like going in our Facebook community and just showing love and support that's service work. You know, the service can look like a lot of different things and within service, uh, we can also find that accountability. So that's awesome, dude. Okay, Randy. So God willing, uh, in three days after this airs, you'll hit five years. What's next? What do you, I don't, do you, do you feel like there's anything, anything shifting or moving or, or do you have plans or, or hopes or dreams for, you know, moving to year six and beyond? Yeah, I, I was very intentional where I had different kind of things I was focusing on at different years. Um, what I want to do moving forward is I really want to get into meditation. That's like always been on my bucket list. And it's one of those things that the people who do it swear by it and just have so much that they get from it. And those who don't like me just seem to make excuses. Uh, there's always kids around. I can't find the time. I can't find the space. It's never going to work, you know, all of this. Um, but I feel that the things that I've enjoyed, like the busyness and keeping my mind off of things that helps keep me sober. But that's one thing I really like about running because yeah, I might have a work thought pop in my head or I might think of something random, but just being able to have that time to just focus and just have it be my time that I look forward to quite a bit. And that is kind of one thing that I, I still is on the bucket list. I, I've done, I do okay. If I'm, if like Jenny's downstairs and I go to bed early, I can do meditation at night, like in bed as I'm falling asleep. I'm pretty good at that. But Lately, you know, I've been going to bed so early <laughs> because I've been getting up so early uh, that she's been running too and getting up early. So I haven't had that. And then she always makes fun of me. She's like, do you have your little meditation going? Like, can I come up here and watch TV? So that's something that I need to try to set aside some time for because uh, I know it doesn't have to be this two hour long crazy meditation. It can be five, 10 minutes. And I know that I have five or 10 minutes. So that's on there. But really just, I really want to, I'm, I'm really pleased with how my recovery looks now. And if I can keep this going on, I'm not going to say forever, but one day at a time. Dare I say that, uh, I, I would just be so happy to just continue working guys through the steps and, and being involved in the community and getting to know as many people as I can and help people that I can and have people help me um, because there's that selfish side of me too. You know, I'm looking for this connection too. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's just not something that comes supernatural. Uh, I definitely learned that, you know, I'm an introvert. I've, that's one thing I've learned in recovery and in my business, you know, I remember someone telling me because I told them I was introverted naturally when I found out that I was and they're like, well, don't tell people that's a weakness. I'm like, no, I, I think that's complete bull crap. Like you can't just pretend to be somebody else because it's going to be seen as like a, a, a weakness in business. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like I'm going to always be myself and be open and honest as much as I can. But that is uh, one of the biggest realizations I made about myself was, was that fact that just the way people recharge is, uh, you know, mm -hmm. it's not good, bad, or indifferent, just who we are. But yeah, finding a way to, to figure out like who you are and, and like once you, you having those realizations about ourselves, it, it equips us so that you can recognize what you need so that when you do need to be on, you're able, you're able to perform better. So kudos to you. And yeah, meditation, man. I love it. I, lo I love me some meditation, but I go, I fit, I'm fits and spurts I'll go <laughs> through parts where times where I have a great routine and it's, it makes a difference for sure. Yeah. Just keep at it. You know, the deal for sure. All right, my brother, we are at the rapid fire section in 60 seconds or less. We're going to zip through these. Are you ready? I'm ready. There will be a day. Maybe it'll happen this episode that I'm going to put some ominous music over this. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I feel like it deserves it. Number one, what is your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? I think my biggest fear is that I wouldn't be able to do it and that I would just continuously be miserable that, you know, my life without alcohol would be joyless. I wouldn't have anything to look forward to. Concerts would be terrible, and I've found that everything is the exact opposite. Uh, number two, elaborating on that, what is a positive that you didn't expect in your life without alcohol? 
oh my gosh, everything. Concerts, like we just saw a concert. I saw Genesis, um, like I said last week, but it was an awesome concert, but just not alone, just not even having to take into the fact that you have to pay for all the ridiculously priced beer. But I didn't have to miss a single song because I didn't have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so it's like these unexpected joys of that, uh, you know, they just, they keep on coming. So it's great. That's good, man. Number three, what would you say to a younger Randy? That's a big one. I mean, I, I think if you take in all of the, the the wisdom that you gain about yourself in recovery, it's just, I, I would have not listened to me. If, if, if I would have gone back in time, I would have been like, this guy's full of shit. Uh, no way am I doing that. Like, like you said, I'm not giving up my, my beer. Like that's my one thing. Like, and if it causes all X, Y, and Z to happen, then so be it. But you know, I, I think it's just, we have to be forgiving of ourselves now. And, you know, it's like one of the big things about letting go of the past. Like I think about all the time, like what would happen if I actually went to class and tried when I was in college? Like maybe I wouldn't have had to have <laughs> done all that work and uh, worked all those crazy schedules and done all of those things. But, and then on the other side, I'm just like, but that's really made me who I am. And it's made me work as hard as I had to work and, and become the person who I am now. So I don't regret it, but I do find myself uh, sometimes going down memory lane and playing the what if game. Like what if I hadn't been drinking all that time and actually studied and tried. Um, but you know, th that's how life goes sometimes. So, you know, I'm here now and I'm doing great and I wouldn't have it any other way. I don't know what number we're on, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know why I number them, but this number, what is on your sobriety bucket list? Uh, sobriety bucket list, I think is, I, I just want to really have, a good slow progression. I, and I, there, I just don't think there's a, a finish line. You know, I, I think I have some things in life that I really want to do that I know wouldn't have been possible if I, if I weren't still drinking, but I, I think bucket list as far as like that goes is, you know, I haven't really thought about that one, Chris. I, I don't have a solid, I don't have a solid answer. Can I give you a, if, if you feel like creating a bucket list, can I give you something to put on there? Yeah, absolutely. Go to the Bozeman retreat and okay. cr crash in the camper with Chris and whoever else ends up in there. Well, okay. Well, then we've, we've <laughs> talked about this because we've already made the pact that if one of us wins the lottery, we will pay for the other <laughs> to attend every single meetup that exists in Cafe RE. That's right. So, I mean, that I guess that qualifies as a bucket list thing. So we'll uh we'll do that because yeah oh my gosh if i had infant money and time i would do nothing but hang out with all of our recovery friends at all times yeah and it would be awesome do you have a powerball ticket or whatever the heck <laughs> <laughs> i probably haven't bought one in three years so i apologize for it I'm, I'm not living up to my end of our deal but if it happens i got you dude got it what parting piece of guidance can you give to our listeners who are either in recovery uh or thinking about getting sober I think the biggest thing I can do is just say, just, just try and be there. And, and just, you know, it, it sometimes it seems counterintuitive um, because you're just like, Oh, do I really want to try to get involved, you know, with, with this group or to do these things? It, it's just uncomfortable. But I, I think I can say that all of us that have tried have not regretted it. I don't feel like any of us that have really put the work in ever came out the other side and we're like, why was I, why did I waste all that time on recovery? Like, what was I thinking? I, I haven't encountered anyone yet that, it, that has said that or felt like it was ever a waste of their time. And I would just, just say to really try and just really give it a dedication. And, and I think, I think people will be happy with, with what the results are. Yeah. Something I, f I feel like Odette and I say this back and forth to each other. We just swap whoever needs to hear it. Um, it's not always easy, but it's always worth it. For sure. All right, dude. And last but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze line, if. Well, I, I think this is a good one, and I, I feel bad because one thing I said is I'm not gonna like when I when I did it came on the first time. I was like so prepared. I had all my notes everywhere, and I was like, this is just gonna be a conversation with Chris. And then I honestly totally forgot about the rapid fire until you brought it up. And I was like, oh, crap, I probably should have looked at those. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I mean, gosh, there's a million of them. You know, I, I think one of them is is just being angry that you're so tall that people can't lift you to do keg stands. 
Um, <laughs> if, if that is a resentment that you have, and I'm sure that uh, you, you, you encounter that as well, it's like, one, you're too tall. Even if someone's strong enough, they can't lift you because then your legs hit the ceiling. And I just remember being so angry. I'm like, everyone's just having so much fun doing cake stands. I can't do it because I'm a freaking giant. So I think if those are thoughts that cross your mind as you're, you're upset about your lack of cake stands, uh, then, then you, you might be <laughs> might need to ditch the booth. <laughs> uh, I love it. I don't know if we alluded to this. I first met Randy in January of 2018. And we were at a, a it was a small recovery elevator meetup in Dallas. And I, I don't know if we were in the lot, but we were probably out, out we we're at a, we we're at a hotel and it was probably out in the pavilion area or whatever. But I think we just kind of looked at each other and we're like, well, this guy's kind of a freak. Like, Cause we're, I don't know, we're within an inch of each other and yeah. we're just like, what are we going to do about this? A couple of tall guys, like, we fight each other. What happens? So, and one of my favorite pictures is we were in we were at a Nashville meetup uh, almost like a year and change later we were at a Nashville yep. meetup and for whatever like for whatever reason we were taking we were taking a picture of our group and I think somebody was in front of me so I stood up on my tippy toes so that so that I was like so that you could see my face I mean I'm, I I want to be able to see my face and uh, after after the pictures came out Randy's like what the hell dude. Your freaking tippy toes! You're trying to squeeze an inch on me. Is oh whatever, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I like how you tell the story so nicely now. Where it's like, oh, somebody wants to see my face. You just wanted to appear to be the tallest guy there, and that's it. I get it. I get it, Chris. It's okay. Listen, we we all got things that we're working on. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate your time, man. You are uh, you're a gem of a human. We're I'm lucky to have you as a friend, and. Uh, we're lucky to have you in our community. Thank you for your time. Uh, I love you, dude, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Love you too, Chris, man. It's an honor to come on with you, and you're killing it behind the mic, and I'm so proud of how far you've come to, and I'm honored to call you a friend as well, brother. All right. Thank you, brother. We'll talk to you soon. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Randy, for coming back on the show. I appreciate it, dude. I want to take a minute to talk about Randy. We touched on it during the interview, but I met him on my first day in our online community, Cafe RE. This was during what Paul calls the country western song stage in my life. I was newly sober, separated from my wife and kids, and I had just moved out of my camper into my dad's spare bedroom. Life was spicy. But Randy was there for me. He did what so many people in recovery do. He showed up. As I was sharing my struggles, trying to figure out how to do life, he was there, steady Eddie, ready to support me. He listened to me, and he shared what had been working for him. From that first day, Randy has always been there. Seriously, Randy, thank you so much for your friendship. You're an amazing dude, and I'm grateful for you. One of my favorite things about recovery is the friendships that we form along the way. I love the term chosen family because that's what my recovery people are to me. They are the ones who are there for me because they want to be. They want me to be successful. They want me to be free. They take me at my worst and they lift me up. They help me to be my best and they celebrate with me. We laugh at the crazy things that life throws at us. We cry together when we're feeling broken. We've danced together, shared blankets. We've stared into the woods, listening to nature. We meet each other where we're at and we walk the path together. This chosen family, these connections, they do come at a cost, though. For some of us, it's the biggest price we've had to pay. It's vulnerability. To make this stick, for the connection to really sink in, we've got to open up. We need to set aside the idea that we've got this and let people know where we're really at. It's about opening up about our lives and our feelings and truly letting others in. It's not about waiting for their advice but letting them love us until we can truly love ourselves. When my cup gets filled, it allows me to operate in the overflow, and then I can show up for others like I never have before. So how about it, Recovery Elevator? Are you ready? I want to encourage you. You can do this. If you've been holding on tight, that's okay. It's what you've had to do to get by until now. But if you want to make that change, now is as good a time as any. Open up. Let someone in. Take a chance and see what happens. When you find that right community or that right person, it can change your life. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you.